Please uh, pray for Brother Jeremy. Let's turn to the book of First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. We'll read verses 1 through 6. First Peter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I want to preach about the elect's inheritance. Let's pray, then you can be seated. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity to come here and to preach your word. Now, Lord, we just ask that your power would be upon your word and it would go out and accomplish that for which you intend to it to accomplish. Lord, there's many requests on our hearts and minds. Father, you know every need. Father, we ask that you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Our main thrust is really about verses 4 through 5, but we want to lead up to that. The elect's eternal inheritance. Peter begins this by addressing his audience in verse 1. This is what's called a general epistle. It's not written to any particular church, but it's, it's written to the Jews that are scattered abroad because of the persecution. So it is written to Hebrew Christians. Uh, at this time, the strangers or pilgrims scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You know, uh, what the, let me first of all say what this does not mean. It does not mean that God chose us based on our foreseen faith. The word knowledge here, or foreknowledge, the word knowledge here is an intimate term. It is a loving term. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare a son. It is dealing with a union. And so what he's saying there is, is, is God, he foreknew, he foreloved us, and he chose us in spite of that. Now, in the English, we take the order of words. is very important in our structure. Not so much in most languages of the world, and especially the Hebrew language, and the Greek language, the order of words really is not that important as it is in our language. And so we could say, according to the foreknowledge of God, we are elected. Uh, according to God for knowing us and loving us and caring about us, he elected us. 
and He did it through the sanctification of the Spirit. We are elected unto obedience. Peter uses the word obedience uh, in correlation with what Paul would call faith. You know, faith and obedience are the pretty much the same thing. Through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. Uh, Peter wastes no time after telling us about our grand election that he moves right into the privileges and the blessings of salvation, which is going to be what we're looking at today. I love the song, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. And we this afternoon want to see this gift of the greatness of salvation full and free. We have the privilege of assembling ourselves this afternoon in one of the Lord's churches, one of the churches of the living God, to worship Him in spirit and truth. And these verses point to our inheritance as God's elect and those who have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank God for election. Election is not just something that we want to just... You know, it's not just a theory or something that we just ponder. Without election, none of us would be saved because none of us deserve to be saved. But the first thing I want to talk about, I really want to focus more in on our inheritance. I want to see the source of our inheritance. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The source of our inheritance is the same source as our election. It's God. We receive our election from God. And Hebrews 1.14 tells us about the angels that are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. Think about that. The heirs of salvation. If you are an heir, then you are to receive an inheritance. And sometimes people say, do you believe in guardian angels? According to Hebrews 1.14, God has sent angels as ministering spirits, protecting spirits, to the heirs of salvation. And so, uh, we, if we, are, we are heirs. Look with me in the book of Romans. I love this. The book of Romans, chapter 8. Some of the favorite scripture in the Bible. But we have an inheritance, and the source of our inheritance is God. You know, election doesn't just end with salvation. We were chosen unto salvation. We were chosen unto an inheritance. Look with me here in Romans, the 8th chapter. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now one thing I want to note here quickly, the adoption in the Bible that it talks about is quite different than our adoption services that we think about today. Literally, he's talking about buying out of the slave market. He purchased us or adopted us out of the slave market. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorified together. If we're God's children, then we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What does that mean that we are a joint heir with Jesus Christ? That means the inheritance that God has, is going to give his son because of his sonship, he's the only begotten of the Father, we receive it. Think about that for just a moment. All that God has for Jesus Christ because of his obedience is mine. It's yours if you're God's child. We have an inheritance in Christ. If God has blessed you, he will always bless you. And if he will always bless you, then we ought to always praise him. God is the source of our inheritance. Uh, the inheritance that we have was elected by God and earned by Jesus Christ and given to us freely. What a privilege. Well, what would motivate God to give us such an inheritance? What's the motive for Him to give us an inheritance? Look with me again in verse 3. Uh, we're back in First Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, there's his motive, according to his abundant mercy, what could possibly motivate a perfectly holy God to give an inheritance to sinful men? His mercy. His abundant mercy. Malachi says he delighteth in mercy. Notice the description of his mercy. It's abundant. Uh, God's mercy is without measure. God's mercy goes beyond human understanding. The word abundant literally means to bubble over or to overflow. And in some texts it, can, it really means to be without measure. Now, it's kind of like scooping up the ocean with a sponge. I mean, it's just, you can't do it. And, and a holy, just, perfectly righteous God to give the inheritance that Jesus earned through his perfect obedience and voluntary death to give that over to sinful men, his motivation simply has to be an abundant, an overflowing, an unmeasurable mercy that he has. Think of God's loving mercy toward us sinners. I don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve it either. None of us do. Not by good works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. That's what Titus says. And mercy is akin but opposite of grace. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve, what you deserve, what you do not deserve. God, mercy is God restraining from you what you do deserve. That's why if someone's guilty and they stand before a judge, they 
plead the mercy of the court. Don't give me what I deserve. Why would God give us eternal life? The, to be a partaker of the inheritance of his son. It's mercy. It's mercy. It's continual mercy. We've all fallen short. We're sinners by practice. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. But God, who was pleased by mercy to crown us in his sons and daughters to the king of glory. How does God appropriate this mercy? We see the source of mercy. God. We see his motivation, or we see the source of our inheritance. God. We see the motivation, mercy. Where's the appropriation? Verse 3. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. That's, that's how we became heirs. We became heirs at the time of the new birth. When we became His children. Familiar scripture, but I want us to look at it. And John chapter 3 tells us about the new birth. And uh, let's look with me in the third chapter of the book of John. Look with me in the first verse. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Literally, that could be translated the ruler of the Jews. He was the, the rabbi of the Jews. He was the national teacher of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I tell you the truth, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he says see here. To see is to perceive, to understand. Can you imagine describing a sunset or a beautiful ocean scenery to a man that's never seen before? How do you have that point of reference? How can he understand and comprehend what you're talking about? He can't. Well, how can a, one that's dead in trespasses and sins understand the things of God? They can't. They can't perceive it. They can't see it. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? See his spiritual blindness? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say, it, say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter. Now he says enter into the kingdom of God. And we know what the Spirit is. I believe that the water is the Word of God. Because Peter says we are born again later in, in 1 Peter. It said we're born again, not of incorruptible seed. Uh, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. And the water throughout the book of John is a picture of the Word of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is 
born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeneth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Who can control the wind? Who can predict where the wind is going to blow? No one. But you can see the evidence of the wind moving. And the word spirit is the actual word breath. Our spirit. We talk about our spirit. The breath or our life. And God's spirit blows upon whom he pleases. And, and, and gives them birth. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that which we know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. And he goes on down and he teaches more about this and basically says, I, you can't understand this earthly illustration. How can I tell you of heavenly things? You, you, can't, even, you can't even grasp this. When God's Spirit, when God's Word is preached, God's Spirit takes it, and, the, and it is called a regeneration. That simply means that God bursts life in us. It says born again, but literally it can be translated born from above. God's Holy Spirit enters us, gives us life, makes us a new creature, a new creation, and we are born into the kingdom of God, into the Son of God. And when we are born into God's family, we have then become a... We then receive the promise of our future eternal inheritance. Now, God shows us in time that he... I mean, God shows us in eternity that he'll save us in time. And, and, and that's what Peter tells us, that, that it, it comes to us, it's appropriated to us at the new birth. It's called a new birth because we are given new life in Christ. Our first birth is physical. Our second birth is spiritual. If you have only been born once, you'll die twice. You'll die physically and spiritually. Now, it's not an going out of existence, but the Bible talks about in death and hell we're cast into the lake of fire forever. It is a continual death. But if you've been born twice, you'll only die once. That will be a physical birth. And we have this living hope. How do we know that, that this promise of the new birth is true? That if we believe that at the moment of, of God's Spirit that enables us to have faith and to believe. <clears throat> How do we know that this truth is true? He goes on in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living or lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My new birth comes through or by 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simply, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power of the Spirit of God that raises our dead souls from death unto life. Ephesians 2.1, And you hath he quickened or made alive <coughs> who were dead in trespasses and sins. My hope of inheritance is in the fact of the resurrection. We're in chapter 1, look at verse 21. Who by him do believe in God? Even my belief in God is because of Jesus Christ. Who by him we believe in God? That raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that's Christ, that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter does not use the word hope as a wishful uh, thinking, as just wishful thinking and I just hope so. No, but a confident expectation of a future blessing based on the promises of a living Savior and an empty grave. We can say we have a hope of resurrection and we know that we have a regenerated life and a regenerated mind and a regenerated soul because Christ was raised from the dead. We call it regeneration. Generation means to mean gen to mean a beginning. That's why it's called the book of Genesis. It's the beginning. And when we are regened, we are regenerated, we are made alive. Old things have passed away. And what a blessing. You see, when we look at this, I don't have to worry. I don't. I don't have to worry about my future home in heaven. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and abides in me. And while this world may think it a cocky or arrogant statement, it simply means I'm going to live as long as God lives. I love the old song, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's what happened. We were born again. We were given new life. We were given eternal life. We don't die to receive eternal life. We receive it the moment that we believe in Christ. He gives it to us. There's a great security of our inheritance. Verse 4 and 5. Now, we're raised again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to See, God saves us unto some things. He saves us from some things. He saves us from judgment. He saves us from hell. He saves us from condemnation. But He don't just save us from some things. He saves us to some things. Look, to an inheritance. To an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away. Reserved. It's reserved in heaven for you. You realize that my my self my inheritance has already been reserved in heaven. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be any vacancy signs on any mansions. Well, now that fellow he couldn't hold out, so you know I built it, but it's not it's not quite built. I want you to think about this thought. God created the heaven and the earth in six literal days. 
I don't care what anybody says. Genesis says the first morning and the first evening was the first day. In six literal days, he created everything that's in this earth. But the Bible tells us that when we go to heaven and we receive our inheritance, Jesus will say, come and receive your inheritance that I have been preparing for you before the foundation of the world. It only took him six days to create everything in this world. But whatever inheritance we have in heaven, he's been working on for all of eternity. That's why the writer Paul said, I have not seen nor ear hath heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that he has prepared for us. See, my inheritance is reserved. And not only that, it's, it's, it's incorruptible. It's without corruption. It's perfect. And it's without the possibility of corruption. Now, a lot of our, you know, everything I own and everything you own, one day is going to end in the junk pile. And the junkyard is going to get all our stuff one day. If the Lord don't return first, he will return. We just don't know when. But our inheritance in heaven will never corrupt. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where moth and rust does not corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. It's undefiled. Now, we can't even say that about us. <laughs> We're defiled sinners. But whatever God, but our inheritance in heaven has never been touched by unholy hands. It's undefiled. There's no hint of sin in it. It fadeth not away. It's never going to go away. It's an eternal inheritance. And it's reserved. Our Lord told us in John 14, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in Me. For in My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there ye may be also. I'll paraphrase Thomas. Thomas said, Lord, how do we know which way you go, whither which way you go? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We go through Christ to our <laughs> eternal inheritance. Oh, what a security. Heaven's real. It's a real place. The reality of it is, is, is even greater than the earth. Oh, it's not like they picture on the movies or different things where we're just floating around on a cloud with a harp. I don't know where they get the harp idea. Uh, but we're just floating around on a cloud with a harp and sprout wings and all that bunch of silliness. It's a planet. It has measurements. It has, it has food. It has a tree that has 12 men of fruits, the tree of life. It has a river that's so, that's so clear that John can only compare it to glass. He said it's, it's a crystal river of glass. It's beyond our human comprehension. When you go into the book of Revelation and you look at uh, him describing heaven, he uses the word as because whatever he saw, he could not convey it to our human mind. So he says the gate was like pearls. 
The walls were like jasper. Our minds can't even enter into that glorious place that he has reserved for us. Thank God for that. The security of this inheritance is God's keeping power. You know, I'm glad it's not based on my work. I'd have lost it today. I got it. My sinful mind, sinful heart. I'd have turned away from it. And I believe this with all my heart. And I've heard the old timers say it. If you took an unregenerated person that's never been saved and you stuck them right in the middle of heaven amongst God and the glorified Savior, they'd be kicking and screaming to get out. Matter of fact, I don't think they could come into his presence. You know why? Because the Bible says that he'll destroy them with the brightness of his coming. He has a brightness and a glory about him in heaven that, that the unregenerate, the wicked, the ones that don't have glory inside of them, they just perish. They melt away at his very presence. But God put that glory inside of us, and one day we'll be able to behold his glory. And But the power is his keeping power to an inheritance. Now look, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Who? Who's the who? Who said, well, that's us. That's half the truth. Not only are we kept by the power of God, our inheritance is kept by the power of God. It's talking about both. The antecedent here is our inheritance. See, God has reserved an inheritance for us that he's kept and he's keeping And he's keeping us for that inheritance. Who are kept. The word kept, of course, is the word garrison, which is where we get the word to guard. It's used that way even in our Bible, in the Old English, the keeper of the prison, the guard. Who are guarded by the power of God. We are guarded by the power of God unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us holy before His presence. Thank God for His keeping power. God guards me and He protects me. He holds me in His hand. He won't forget us. And He won't leave us. Turn with me over to the book of Isaiah, if you will, chapter 49. God holds us in the palm of his hands. We are kept by his power. I love these verses in Isaiah 49. You're probably familiar with them. Isaiah 49. Now I want to set this up before we read this. God's people in Isaiah 49 are distraught. Jerusalem has been sacked. Israel has been scattered. They have, the walls have been burnt. They have no visible hope that God is going to keep their promise to them. They're going through a time of persecution. Look what he says in Isaiah 49 verse, we'll begin in verse 13. 
Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her suckling child? that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Look at this. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. When did you do that? Thomas didn't believe he had resurrected. He came to Thomas and he said, Lord, is it you? And he said, Behold my hands. Behold my feet. Is it not I? Put your hand in the wound in his side. Christ, I am raised up in the palm of his hand. He holds us. I like this part of the verse, which is usually forgotten or not mentioned. Thy walls are continually before me. What walls? When this was written, the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. (laughs) And yet he says, thy walls are continually before me. You see right now, I see what I'm going to do with you. I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. Yeah. He won't forget us. He won't leave us. Our inheritance is kept by his power and by his hands. Well, notice with me what it entails back in Peter. Who are kept by the power of God. This is continuous in past tense. Through faith. Now it's through faith. God gives me faith. Now how do you know if one believes or not? The Lord said that he that began a good work in you will perform it. Faith is a gift of grace and regeneration. He's given us faith. Unto salvation. That's future tense. Unto salvation. Ready to be revealed. At the last time. The last day. He's talking about the resurrection here. You see, as I know I've probably said here so forth, salvation is in three tenses. We have been saved past tense from the penalty of our sin. We are currently being saved present tense from the power of sin or the control of sin over us. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. There won't be any sin around us. There won't be any sin in us. We'll receive that glorified body that's likened to the Lord. No more sickness. No more pain. 
No more suffering. No more sin. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Yeah. When that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise and we'll receive a glorified body. We don't know what it's going to be like, but we know when he appears, we'll appear like unto him. I love this. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Because of this, we rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice in our future inheritance that's coming. Rejoice. Now, the word rejoice is found several times in our English Bible. And there's a couple different words that that is used in the original Greek language. But the one that's used here is only used three times. And the other time that it's used is when Jesus said, Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, talking about. And so they persecuted the prophets first, which were before ye. It's the same word. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. He's talking about persecution there. Now this word rejoice literally means that you are overcome by joy. Most of the Greek writers, the guys that write the lexicons and stuff like that, say that it literally means to dance. You're just so overcome by joy you just can't handle it. That, that it just overflows out of you. It just pours out. Wherein we greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Word heaviness here to be burdened. We're burdened down. There's a lot of burdens that we can have in this life. Well, thank God that our Lord has given us a great promise ahead that we can rejoice in. Well, there's nothing greater than rejoicing in salvation. Nothing. You know, they came to our Lord in the book of Luke chapter 15. He's eating with some sinners. Now, when we say sinners, we say, oh, brother, we're all sinners. I know. But when the Bible says he ate with sinners, (coughs) known notorious sinners. So he's eating with people that are known prostitutes, known murderers, known thieves, the derelicts of the town. They ask him why he's rejoicing with sinners. Now he tells them three stories. He says, now a woman lost a coin that was worth about a month's worth of pay and she searched the whole house. She found the coin and she ran to her neighbors. She said, is this so? And rejoiced because she found her money. Then a man who had a hundred sheep lost one. He went out into a far country searching for that sheep until he found it. And he brought it back rejoicing. Then a man had two sons. One left and went out and blew his inheritance on 
riotous living. And then his son came back and he, he hugged him and said, kill the fatty calf. And they danced and they, the Bible said they danced. And they rejoiced and they had this merry time with him. And then Jesus says, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. All those stories were teaching the same thing. God rejoices when sinners come home, when they repent. Now, you know, I preached that that verse wrong for years. I used to preach there's the angels rejoice when a sinner comes to repentance. That's not what it says. It says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. It's God that's rejoicing. It's our Father that's rejoicing. Can you rejoice? Manifold temptations, manifold burdens, manifold heaviness. Manifold literally means multicolored. Problems come in all shapes, sizes. But we can rejoice and know that our home in heaven is as sure and as steadfast as Jesus himself. That no matter how bad we fall or no matter how big we mess up, that God isn't going to strip away our inheritance. He isn't going to strip away our sonship. That he's got it reserved in heaven for us. And that it is as sure as the life of God himself. And though at this moment we may be heavy of heart, we may be heavy with problems, we know that we can rejoice even in the middle of all kinds of trials and problems and temptations. And we can rejoice. And what do you rejoice over? That'll tell us a whole lot about who you are spiritually. What do you rejoice over? Boy, I'll tell you what. Old mountain preacher used to say, preaching God's words like turning lights on in a barn. The birds will sing, but the rats run for cover. That's true. Man, I tell you what, thank God that I have an eternal inheritance because I'm God's child. God elected me unto salvation. He elected me unto this life that I have. He elected me unto all of, you know, everything is according to God's providence and God's plan. And he not even just chose that I would be saved. He has an inheritance that he's building for me. He's building it for you too. Man, that makes me rejoice. Life gets tough and life gets real and life gets difficult. We just rejoice. If you don't know that kind of rejoicing, I'm not saying you have to be emotional all the time. I know 